You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Well, my friends, if you have clicked on this particular episode of Resurrection Life, uh, you know we are taking up part two uh, of a painful subject, how to parent wayward sons and daughters. And I do very much want to speak to this, the second part of this subject, not because it's pleasant by any means, but because it is so very important. Uh, It's important not just for those of you who may be listening, who are in the very midst of this particular trial as parents, but uh, it is important for all of us to consider this subject in advance of what could, in fact, uh, be our own experience of walking through such a trial. Now, as I take the subject back up again, I want to reiterate, this is a very difficult subject to take up in a podcast. This is more fitting in many respects for personal counseling, pastors and parents, elders and parents. If I were doing so uh, with one of you uh, in a live situation, I would ask a lot of questions about your situation, and my counsel would be informed by all that I uh, acquire by way of knowledge of you and your situation. But folks, I do want to be of help as much as I can uh, through this medium uh, to offer some counsel, uh, trust uh, some wisdom, and um, perhaps it will lead to uh, further personal conversations, at least with some of you. Now, last time, I devoted all my time to the matter of parents shepherding their own hearts uh, through a, the trial of having a wayward child. There are so many threats uh, to our own souls in this kind of situation as parents. And I was wanting to say last time, before you can effectively shepherd the heart of your child, uh, you'll need to keep your own heart You might say that I was talking about what you need to be as a parent before I come back to the subject of what you need to do as a parent in this situation. But let's consider that now. Uh, What kind of parenting does a wayward child call for in us who are seeking to parent uh, in imitation of our Heavenly Father? What must we do to honor the Lord in our lives and What, by His grace, is most effective in reaching our children's hearts uh, for Him? I do think uh, that faithful ministry by parents to wayward kids uh, does share some common features, and I'm going to try to identify five of those features of faithful parenting of wayward children. Five things most essential uh, in dealing with children who, uh, young adults who seem at least, to be walking away from the Lord. There's a lot here. Uh, You may want to take more than one commute uh, to the office uh, to consider it all. Number one, brothers and sisters, faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for deep investment in your relationship with him or her. You could add to the word deep investment, the word deep, you could add intentional investment, creative investment, persistent investment. I had all these words uh, here in my notes. Uh, So friends, in many cases, a wayward child represents a broken relationship with their parents. There's a lot of anger or resentment or bitterness or withdrawal from the relationship. And that means that your investment in such cases needs to be in the form of repairing the relationship itself. But I'm aware that in other cases, the relationship may well be cordial enough uh, between you and a wayward son or daughter. But uh, the fact still remains, your parental concerns, your pleas are not being heeded. Your counsel is not being followed. And so there's still a restoration that needs to take place. And it's the restoration of parental influence in the relationship you have with that son or daughter. Either way, either way, uh, your relationship with that wayward child Uh, has rightly become one of your top priorities in life. I do not overstate the case. And you need to be ready as a parent to invest the time and energy into that relationship that the need calls for. Maybe in in, in entirely unprecedented ways, new and creative and persistent and intentional ways that 
uh, will change your life in significant ways. Do you remember what I said uh, last time about our Heavenly Father and his example in parenting wayward children? Uh, What is his MO uh, as a father with his wayward children? Well, his way, the Bible's full of an answer to this question, is one of earnest effort to win his children's hearts. Uh, He reaches out to them. He expresses his love to them. He pleads with them. He exhorts them. He sets before them, yes, the consequences that await them if they continue to turn from him. Given how much of the Bible is actually written uh, to covenant children behaving badly, we might say, um, you could say much of the scripture is itself that very parental investment on God's part in pursuing relationship with wayward children. A significant amount of the Bible itself is. Now, that looks like, uh, as I mentioned last time, uh, the role of the prophets being sent by God to his wayward children, the nation of Israel. But you could also look in our uh, Lord's ministry at his preaching and teaching and seeing that great investment in seeking to restore relationship with rebellious Israel of his day. For that matter, uh, with the inauguration of the New Testament church, you could see that in, in Paul's letters. Remember, it's not just Paul writing to the Corinthians or to the Galatians or to the uh, – uh, it's not just the writer of Hebrews writing to the recipients of the book of Hebrews – Uh, whoever that author is, uh, this all represents God through his apostles, through his messengers, reaching out to wayward uh, children. He's in hot pursuit. So much of the Bible is a manifestation of God's hot pursuit of wayward kids. He's seeking by truth expressed in love to win the hearts of rebellious kids. Now, that's, your, that's our shared uh, understanding of God. It's our shared theology. And friends, I'm saying that's your model as a parent if you too have a wayward child. And I do not want you to underestimate the power, by the grace of God, of truth persistently spoken to your wayward children with genuine love. I'm not talking about the truth spoken in anger or impatience or peevishness. I'm speaking of the truth spoken in due season with genuine concern for your son, your daughter. So that's the investment in relationship I'm talking about. And I can imagine someone saying, all right, Pastor Trice, I'm hearing you. But what exactly does that look like? I mean, my son is not exactly hanging on my every word these days, Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, Let me tell you what I don't have in mind. Um, I don't have in mind parents with wayward children who are simply looking to pounce at every opportunity of bad behavior to give that son or daughter a piece of your mind. I'm not talking about parents who, perhaps more benignly, uh, are seeking every opportunity to slip in uh, that little pious reminder Uh, in a moment of um, conversation. I'm certainly not talking about um, parents uh, just trying to uh, take advantage of those moments when a son or daughter can't escape. Maybe they're riding in the car, and uh, this is my chance uh, to build relationship. All these things uh, may have their place in moments, but brothers and sisters, I have a more radical proposal for parents of wayward young adults. My proposal is drop all the subtlety, all attempts at serendipity in your pursuit of relationship, and pursue that relationship with the same kind of zeal and intensity and even creativity that once upon a time you pursued relationship with the mother or father of that wayward child. I'm talking about your marriage relationship. Folks, you know what it is like. You know what it entails to intentionally pursue relationship. Um, You did it in order to uh, gain the heart of that man or that woman that you wanted to marry. 
And I, what I'm saying here uh, is that you should be just as intentional and and even just as um, open with your son or daughter about what you're seeking to do. So for, say to your son, son, we're going through some stuff. <laughs> uh, one way to put it, our relationship isn't what it should be. Uh, that makes me think, son, we need to spend some intentional time together. Uh, and so I'm proposing uh, that we have uh, Monday nights. Monday night, I come home from work, uh, and that's my priority. Uh, we're going out, we're going to talk, and we're going to pursue regaining uh, what we've lost in terms of relationship. And maybe you add to that, uh, we're going to have time, not only to talk, we're going to have time to pray. Now, that's my not-so-really-very-radical proposal. And folks, I think it's exactly what the situation calls for, or some variation on that theme. Uh, It said, desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, Parents know this. I'm trying to point you to what those measures should look like. I've um, used the term dating uh, to refer to my pursuit of intentional relationship with my kids. I talked earlier in an earlier part of this series on the value of dad dates, um, particularly dad dates in light of the fact that mom has so much more uh, time with sons and daughters in a typical traditional home. Uh, That's the intentional togetherness where you talk about stuff and you pray about stuff. I think that some parents' instincts uh, when waywardness begins to be the pattern in their children is to talk with their kids at all the wrong times or, in some cases, to try to bond with that son or daughter apart from any talking at all. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage parents to do the equivalent of what you did when you were first bound and determined to win the heart of uh, that other human being in a romantic relationship. It's a different kind of relationship, to be sure, but it, it calls for the same kind of intentionality and even uh, creativity and certainly persistence. By the way, a word to uh, younger parents of younger kids, just certainly don't wait until uh, this kind of trial is um, besetting you and your home uh, to develop this pattern. Do it while they're young. Do this date relationship kind of thing when you have kids who want nothing more than to have time with you and it will serve you in good st- it will stand you in good stead uh, when the time comes if it's the Lord's a pleasure for it to come when you have more strain in that relationship all right so I can imagine I can imagine uh, the response yeah and and what you're proposing given where we are, would be so very awkward. Well, okay, I get it. Uh, My reply would be, if at first you don't get past awkward, try, try again. Folks, when you set yourself to win the heart of your wife or husband, you had all that energy and creativity, you got past some awkward dates, didn't you? That's what it takes to win the heart of a wayward child. And I think a similar principle applies where there's a will, there's a way. And folks, really, what is the alternative? Is it to give up on the relationship? This relationship that has rightly become one of your highest priorities in life, when you're not praying for that relationship, you're seeking for uh, seeking ways to build that relationship. This is where I want to say that if you have a wayward child, you probably don't have time for everything else that you might like to do uh, and perhaps have done up until this point uh, in your full and and overflowing life. There are some things that are going to need to be thrown overboard uh, in order to invest what you need to invest in that relationship. You may need to uh, scale back at the workplace, forego that promotion. You may have to step off the school board or the little league committee or the country club or what have you. You may need to quit the part-time job in order to have this time to invest in relationship. You may need to take a sabbatical from office in the church, elder, deacon, even pastor. I'm noting this to you as I reflect on just the sheer time and energy 
uh, that having a wayward child rightly calls for, as parents first and foremost seek to pursue relationship, restoring of relationship uh, with that son or daughter. And by the way, uh, that kind of sacrifice, if your son or your daughter sees in you the willingness to throw some stuff overboard in your life, stuff that really matters to you, in order to pursue relationship with them, that in itself, by God's grace, could be a very winning, winsome thing to your wayward child. So under this first point, I'm saying to my fellow parents, after tending to your own heart, first thing called for in you is hot pursuit in intentional, creative, persistent ways of relationship. Folks, God has, in a way that's really quite mysterious, actually, intertwined your relationship with your children with his relationship with your children. I'm not saying that there's a one-to-one correspondence, to be sure, but in a covenant nurturing home, those two things go together, not unlike your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with your spouse. They are interconnected in a variety of ways. And as God draws your wayward child back to himself uh, by his grace and your uh, seeking it, it will probably be, it will probably be uh, by means of your own pursuit of relationship that wayward son or daughter. So that's first. Faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for deep investment in your relationship with him or with her. Secondly, then, faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for, I'll call it, unflinching enforcement of basic standards. Now, here's the both and that I alluded to last time when I was talking about the example of God's parenting of his wayward kids. On the one hand, I said he is incredibly patient and long-suffering in his love, but he's also unwilling to waive his standard of behavior for his children. So while parents do need to be ready to, as it were, drop everything to invest in that troubled relationship, that's point one, One of the things they can't afford to drop, if you will, is the basic moral standards for behavior in the family. That's point two. You know why I'm saying this, of course. Uh, You know that in order to win back kids' goodwill, uh, we as parents can be tempted to avoid anything that, well, that might upset them. Uh, parents, you've seen this with rebellious children, can resort to a kind of policy of placation. And that makes the whole household, in the worst case scenario, a hostage uh, to a wayward child's whim and fancy. Uh, That's a kindergarten of the worst possible kind, a teenager now, whose parents are so desperate not to cross them that they'll do anything uh, to avoid tension with them. So I'm talking about enforcing uh, basic standards. When I use the word basic, uh, there is a note of realism I hope you'll hear in that. I know that in some very difficult situations where young people are in open rebellion against their parents in the home, I'm aware that there can, of necessity and, and wisely so, be a kind of triage uh, that parents follow. In addressing issues, parents in such, way, in such situations, in other words, have to pick their battles. Uh, they may wisely let certain kinds of misbehavior go to focus on bigger things. You can't deal with everything at once. A teenager who talks to her mother in a condescending tone, yes, is a teenager that needs correction. But if she's not even predictably coming home at night, well... You have bigger fish to fry, I realize. And there are certain standards that are most basic, and they're the ones I'm saying need to be inflexibly enforced. But here, uh, in order to do that, two things. A couple of very thoughtful steps are going to be required of parents uh, in this area of standards. On the one hand, you're going to have to agree with your spouse on what the basic standards are going to be uh, there in your home, you and your husband. 
you and your wife, they, you need to be clear between yourselves about the standards you are going to insist on. This is going to require you to confer together, uh, to have that parenting conference that I've sp- spoken about in the past. Uh, you'll need to be clear in your minds so that these standards can be non-negotiable uh, with your teenager. Maybe you agree among yourselves. It's not necessary Uh, as parents to know where your teenager is at every moment, but it is necessary that he or she is home at a certain time every night. Uh, You may not insist on their being there at home with your family each evening for family time, but you may insist that there is um, a readiness and willingness to, to have those dad dates or mom dates, as the case may be that I was speaking about earlier. Now, Those are uh, judgment calls, um, standards that you are setting and insisting on uh, that make it necessary for you to do your, uh, or that make it possible, rather, for you to do your job as a parent, uh, to pursue a path of restoration. And then, of course, there's standards you and your husband, your wife need to be quite clear on that are just straight out of the Bible. Uh, There's biblical morality uh, that's at stake, profanity, or other kinds of abusive speech or various forms of immorality. You as parents may see a lot of things sinful in a son or daughter during a certain season of his life, but he or she needs to know what are the deal breakers uh, for you, the basic standards you're going to be inflexible about. So as soon as you agree with your spouse on what those basic standards are, secondly, you need to communicate clearly with your son or daughter what those standards are. Now, in some cases, I've seen parents uh, resort, I think quite rightly and wisely, to writing certain things out, um, perhaps even requesting a son or a daughter to sign something Uh, as an expression of their awareness. These are the standards insisted on uh, by those who manage this home. It could be helpful to have an elder or pastor that is part of that. And I'll be returning to the pastor-elder role in just a moment. Folks, in addition to having uh, God-appointed authority over your offspring that enables you and authorizes you to do this, you also have a certain moral authority, just as the one who provides food and shelter. Um, someone says, wait a minute, what are, you, what are you suggesting, Pastor, that teens that wouldn't comply with these basic standards would be kicked out of the house? Well, uh, there's several more steps between here and there that uh, I still want to speak to. Uh, that would certainly be a very last resort, but the answer to the question, in a word, Uh, is yes, there comes a point with offspring of a certain age after other options are exhausted that exactly that is is good and just. I just point you to the fact that God himself uh, comes to that point uh, with his covenant Israel, covenant children Israel after uh, they um, are unwilling uh, to respond to his winning and wooing of them. In the promised land. But here's how this unpleasant hypothetical that has come before our eyes uh, is actually helpful right now, well before it becomes even relevant, apart from that scenario that I trust will never be your lot. Uh, it can inform you in your posture uh, towards teenagers who've come to a place of open rebellion. There are certain things that you as parents should not tolerate in your home. And that means, when I speak of unflinching enforcement, and I use that term, I, friends, I'm talking about the kind of conviction and the kind of composure that a wayward teen really needs to see in you. Uh, this enforcement uh, has everything to do with your posture as parents, the success of this enforcement. Uh, Because you're a son, your daughter reads you very well by now. Uh, They can see insecurity in you. They can see 
uncertainty in you, and they will certainly exploit that. But if they see conviction and resolve, uh, they'll respond to that as well, again, by the grace of God. Parents who, uh, to put it in um, extreme terms, become a doormat uh, to their strong-willed and rebellious children uh, they're missing something. They're, they're desperate to heal the broken relationship. They're concluding that looks like never crossing their teen, but they're missing the fact that something vital to that relationship with their teenager is that teen's respect for them as parents. Teens who get really good and quite successful at playing their parents uh, come inevitably to despise them Teens who have parents, on the other hand, who are patient in love, but have hard and fast boundaries on the basics. Well, by the grace of God, they uh, can respect that. I'm aware there's any number of moments when enforcing a standard seems at least momentarily completely out of reach. What do you do when you're very uh, large teenage son, for example, simply won't get out of bed on a Sunday morning and you're ready to go to church. Well, there may not be in that moment a whole lot that you can do. Let's be realistic. But in the long run, there are things at work in favor uh, of such enforcement. You have a measure of control that's right for you to exert uh, in response to patterns of sin like that. There are privileges for example, that you retain control over uh, that can be withdrawn as a consequence of sin. Car phones. uh, What did I say? Car phones? No, (laughs) I mean smartphones or car keys uh, or other liberties uh, that our young adults very much want in our homes. Uh, There are many ways that over time, parents of wayward kids Uh, should allow their sons and daughters to feel the consequences of sin uh, and can have over time um, the effect of enforcing uh, those standards in our home. So the enforcement of those standards uh, will be hard, but of great necessity. And if there's defiance in your wayward child, well, that leads me to a third thing uh, that I want to say with regard to parenting Uh, wayward sons and daughters. The first thing was deep investment in the relationship. The second was unflinching enforcement of basic standards. And here's the third thing, my friends. Faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for enlisting the help of church leaders. Now, last time I spoke of how one of the ways our pride gets in the way of our parenting is that it can prevent us from reaching out for help. Uh, when we find ourselves in these circumstances. Now I want to say, brothers and sisters, at some point in your parenting, it becomes absolutely incumbent upon you, your obligation before the Lord, to get that help, to get that help from pastors and elders in particular in your local congregation who are themselves also with you responsible for the spiritual well-being of your children. So your parental concern is rightly their pastoral concern. And you as a parent need to be ready and willing and even eager to bring them in on your labors with a wayward child. Now, there's a couple of ways that uh, you should expect blessing from involving a pastor or elder. Number one, your son and your daughter with you will benefit just from having a mediator in your conflict. So if you've gotten into a relational rut with a teenager, uh, sometimes the only way out of it, humanly speaking, is to bring in a wise third party into the situation who can help you two or you three uh, break free uh, of those bad patterns. A peacemaker Uh, a go-between, a mediator who can help your son or daughter understand what you're saying, hear you uh, for the first time perhaps, perhaps also enable you as mom or dad to hear your son or daughter 
yes, even for the first time. Did you notice how it goes both ways? Uh, When you call for help from a pastor or an elder, uh, get ready for it to involve that help, that mediation, um, feedback, counsel that applies to both sides of the relationship. Friends, your conduct as a parent is rightly under their oversight as well. Your son, uh, daughter, has a right to seek an elder's assistance uh, when you are sinning in the relationship and when you are being unreasonable in your use of authority. I can't remember if I've spoken to this already, but I preached a sermon once upon a time that I called The Rights of Children. And when I used that expression, I had in mind the fact that your teenager has a right to know, for example, that you too answer to authority, even in the way you exercise your parental authority. And your teenager has a right to appeal to those who are in authority over you as well as him or her. So in addition to your own child's issue with authority being revealed through the help of a pastor elder, you're Your own use of authority may be worthy of critique. And here's the point. You should want uh, to be held accountable and to be led in this as well. Sometimes all that's needed, and God is this good at times, is a single encounter uh, with a pastor or elder uh, sitting in uh, with uh, a parent or parents and a son or daughter. And something breaks free through that mediation. Parents, um, you're likely going to need to be the one who seeks that. It's probably not going to be your teenager who has the idea, uh, who says, Mom, Dad, don't you think we need to be talking with an elder about this? Well, uh, that's possible, but it's not as likely. Uh, And so you're going to need to be the one. Uh, to make that call and to enlist that help. Faithful shepherds will often be observant enough to take initiative and ask if that's needed in your home. And when they initiate, you should be humbly and enthusiastically receptive to it. But don't wait for them to become aware. Reach out and seek their help. So expect, expect this blessing just from having a mediator in your conflict. Expect that in a way that's similar to any number of other kinds of relational conflict where often there is need for mediation. But brothers and sisters, a second way or a second reason why you should expect a blessing from the Lord through reaching out to pastors and elders is that your authority as a parent can indeed be supported by those authorities in the church. So let me assume now that you are a flawed but faithful parent uh, to a wayward teen. And that teen uh, is someone who is not responding well to your authority. Folks, you need someone else's authority to be a strength and support to your own. Did you hear what I said? You have that, actually, in the covenant community. God has provided such that when your authority is not... uh, does not have the place in your child's heart that it should, you can appeal to authority that is over both you and your child. Your child's no longer listening to you. Well, they need to be confronted by that, or in light of that, by other authorities in their lives. That's not just an issue between uh, you and him. That's actually an issue between him and God, and it's a serious issue, and it's rightly a concern of his shepherds, and this is a great asset to you in your parenting. So actually, my friends, think sooner rather than later as you contemplate, should I ask an elder to get involved? Should I ask a pastor to sit down with me and my son, my daughter? I mentioned, uh, I think last time, that uh, I've had elders uh, seek out my involvement in their relationship with their young adult sons or daughters. And It wasn't with wayward children in the sense that I have been speaking of it primarily. It was actually, to my great uh, blessing, it was actually an instinct that kicked in very early uh, intention and relationship by those pastors, or rather those elders. Hey, I, I, 
I'm an elder. I know how this works. I think I need another elder uh, helping me uh, in my relationship with my teenager. I'm so impressed when I see that, especially when I see men in authority uh, seeking to have that authority uh, at work in their own lives as well. So when you're struggling to enforce your own authority in the home with a rebellious child, you need and your child needs authority from outside the home. I'll put it this way. Your child needs to be sitting across from an elder at some point, maybe even a couple of elders, and being told, we love you. We're eager to help you. We're sorry for the distress of what you're going through. But young man, there will be no more behavior like this against your parents or of other kinds. Uh, This is not in keeping with your vows as a church member. Every teenager uh, needs to know that he answers for his behavior, not just to his parents, but also to his pastors and elders. So if you're a parent, without that kind of backup in your parenting, especially when you need it, well, that's a tragedy. And if you're a parent that has that backup, God's provided it for you in your local church, pastors and elders, but you're unwilling to call for it, well, that's another tragedy of its own. So faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for enlisting the help of church leaders. Number four, then, uh, takes us one step further in thinking about a painful situation. Number four, brothers and sisters, is this. Faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for the trusting support of necessary church discipline. Folks, I will never forget the first case of church discipline that I was ever a part of uh, as a young pastor. It was with a wayward young woman uh, in the church. She was a member of the church with her single mom. She was loved by her family, loved by her church family. Uh, And in this case, she was also bound and determined uh, to marry a young man who was not a Christian. Now, in case you're a little rusty on the biblical significance of that course of action, not only, brothers and sisters, is it directly contrary to the Scripture's command that Christians marry only in the Lord, but throughout the Bible, marrying someone who is not a lover of God is one of the ultimate acts of infidelity to the Lord. Just read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which... Our congregation has recently been reading through uh, to make that case. Marrying an unbeliever is the next closest thing to personal apostasy itself in the Bible. Well, that was the situation. Here's the thing that was very encouraging to me and even surprising to me as a very young pastor working through his first church discipline case, and it was that the single mom of this young woman— needing church discipline, gave the elders her full support for what they had to do. She too, just like her elders and pastor, was concerned for her daughter's soul. She recognized that church discipline isn't just something necessary to keep things neat and tidy in the church, but it's actually a faithful means of grace in God's hands in pursuing wayward church members. One of the purposes of church discipline is to reclaim the one who's unrepentantly pursuing sin. And she wanted her daughter to be reclaimed, and she therefore didn't fight or object to the process she prayerfully, sadly, yet hopefully supported every step of it. Now, that was my first experience with biblical church discipline. It was, of course, not the last, And uh, in other cases of church discipline, uh, in the lives of children of the covenant, uh, folks, I've seen very, very different parental instincts. I've seen parents want to hide their children's sins from their elders and pastors. I've seen parents who resist uh, their elders' involvement in their wayward child's Life. I've seen parents who resent every single step of biblical church discipline. And it's not uncommon for parents to, to try to preempt 
all such process of biblical churches one by leaving the church when they realize they have a wayward child. There's plenty of church options, after all, out there where biblical church discipline is never carried out. Folks, I'm saying here, if you have a wayward child, please realize that sooner or later, apart from a work of God's grace, this is rightly to become a matter of not just parental discipline, but church discipline. That's part of the vows that in a Presbyterian church, and particularly at Resurrection Presbyterian Church, your son or daughter himself or herself took. Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the government of this church, to participate faithfully in its worship and ministry, and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life, to heed its discipline? That's a vow your wayward son or daughter took. And as a parent who understands, hopefully, the place of church discipline according to Scripture, not intuitive, not merely instinctive, but as the Scripture provides it, as a means of grace in the lives of wayward uh, covenant members, well, that becomes something you should be at the very front of the line uh, in seeking uh, in supporting in the life of your children. If, you've lis- if you are listening to this particular part of this episode and you have actually never heard clear biblical teaching on the purpose of church discipline, well, I, I think you need to do that. Uh, and I'll offer one uh, way to get uh, some of that biblical teaching on church discipline. I'm going to put in the show notes of this episode a link to a little mini-series that I preached uh, some years ago on the meaning of church discipline, what I call the mystery of church discipline, and then the biblical mandate uh, of church discipline. You can pursue that if that is something you need more insight, biblical insight into. Can I say now to my fellow Presbyterian parents, if you want to embrace your child's place in the covenant from the very beginning of their lives and all the good theology and parenting practice that comes along with that, folks, you need to be willing to act on the other part of all that good theology, namely that covenant breaking in the Bible includes being removed from the covenant community. The worst thing for your child, for his soul, is to think he can live like the world and stay in perfectly good standing in his Presbyterian church. I remember a Baptist brother uh, in a context of debating the issues of covenant theology and baptism and whether uh, children as even infants should be baptized as a sign of their inclusion into the covenant community of the church. He made this exhortation to his Presbyterian brothers. He was saying, in effect, okay, I get it. You're going to embrace your children as members of the covenant. You're going to call them to keep covenant all their days because covenant for you doesn't equal salvation. It's something that uh, results either in trusting and obeying the one that has made covenant with them or uh, unbelief and disobedience. Okay, but here, my Baptist brother said, you better be prepared to take action to remove your children from the covenant community, or you'll have a recipe for a church that doesn't take covenant commitments seriously. Now, I heard that um, from my Baptist brother, and I, I said at the time, point well taken. We love receiving our infant children into membership of the church. That's the part we like. But it is just as important, though much sadder, to remove young people from membership in the church uh, if they prove to be unrepentant in their waywardness. Presbyterians who don't practice church discipline with wayward children are cherry-picking the parts of their covenant theology that they really want to implement. And I would submit their inconsistency here is a discredit to their theology. So that's my word to my fellow Presbyterian parents, all parents, Hear me, please. If your pride is not getting in the way, 
if your biblical understanding makes clear that God uses church discipline in part to awaken uh, wayward sinners to their need to come back to Christ, then you will be, in due time, your elders' greatest support in this aspect of their very difficult work uh, in the church. And I'll just say again, it has been my testimony over the years uh, that I have seen parents in faith, in a posture of faith, uh, saying to their elders, yes, I am with you as you seek first to intervene in informal ways in counselor, mediator, and I am with you and fully supportive when the time comes uh, to seek those, oh, those, those hard means of grace uh, that are found in the keys of the kingdom and the church discipline. The church is working with parents in this. It's not working uh, against them. Well, I have one more word uh, to parents of wayward children, <clears throat> sons and daughters, teenagers. And uh, this one will serve to slightly qualify uh, the emphasis of so much of what I've been saying. I've been calling for so much time and attention and energy and prayer uh, for wayward children. But it occurs to me to say uh, one more thing to qualify that at least uh, somewhat, and I'll say it this way. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, faithful ministry to a wayward child calls for taking care not to neglect other family relationships uh, and parental responsibilities. Uh, it is easy for a wayward child to consume all the emotional parental bandwidth that a mom or dad has. I've already talked about how that can put marriages uh, at risk. Uh, and not only is there the stress of it all that is a threat, but there's the neglect of the good relational work that is necessary in all of our parenting of all of our children uh, that can come through preoccupy parents uh, with wayward children. So uh, can I make these two more specific observations? Uh, neglecting faithful children to minister to unfaithful children uh, can become a point of resentment in the hearts of your faithful children. Uh, if that wayward child is getting all the attention and the comparatively faithful children are being starved for attention or being taken for granted, uh, that can lead to resentment and that can become its own source of uh, temptation towards waywardness in those children. Now, I'm not forgetting uh, the wonderful parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd, of course, in Jesus' parable, leaves the 99 and, and seeks to fetch the one that's been uh, wandering away. And to the extent that that applies to parenting, it certainly makes, uh, for all the focus that I've been trying to um, call us to in the things I've been saying up until this point, and I think it's fair for you to be clear with your other children. There's a reason, kids, while your parents are spending so much time and so much energy uh, with your brother, with your sister. But it doesn't, at the end of the day, even that parable, it doesn't legitimize parental neglect of the whole family any more than it would uh, legitimize pastoral neglect of a whole church because there's one uh, or two that are wayward in that church. So I'm just saying here, don't let... Uh, the wayward child become the tail uh, that wags the dog of the whole family's life. I know that like everything I have said in this podcast, <laughs> that is easier said uh, than done. But the stakes are high as well here. Uh, the spiritual well-being of other children uh, can be at stake in this. We can't afford to get tunnel vision and neglect our responsibilities to the other children. So don't neglect faithful children in your ministry to the wayward. And don't overlook, secondly, that your parenting of the rest of your children may be needed to offset the influence of that wayward child. Now, this is painful to say indeed, but especially if your wayward child has younger siblings, you need to be alive to the possibility that their hearts can be at risk 
by his or her example. Um, that example may make him or her odious in their eyes, but it also in some cases could just make them look cool. So this needs to be counteracted by uh, wise parents. You have to be very careful not to speak of a wayward child with bitterness, certainly not with ridicule or exasperation in front of the other children. But uh, there are ways wisely uh, and charitably to make uh, that bad behavior a negative example. And you're right to lead other children uh, in certain cases in prayer and ministry to their wayward brother or sister. And uh, yeah, in extreme cases, uh, you're right to consider ways to remove uh, children from the influence of that sibling. You, um, you remember what Paul says of the church and realize it could be said of the family, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, families don't have the keys to the kingdom like the church does, but parents should be, like pastors are, concerned about the influence uh, that wayward covenant members have on others. They should be mindful of that as they parent their whole family and all of their children even as they seek to, in a concerted way, uh, win the heart of one wayward child. Well, my friends, uh, with a great sense of inadequacy uh, to the subject and the task, uh, I'm offering to you these five essentials uh, that I consider to be applicable to every situation uh, where there's a wayward child, deep investment in the relationship, However, uh, enforcement of basic standards, the involvement of elders, the support of necessary church discipline, and the care uh, for the rest of your family. Now, how shall I wrap up comments like these on such a painful subject? Well, of course, I want to say something encouraging as I conclude, but what should I say by way of encouragement, friends, I wish I could say what St. Ambrose uh, is reported to have said to a young woman named Monica. She had a very wayward son, young man named Augustine, and she came to her pastor with uh, tears and poured her heart out to uh, St. Ambrose she wanted uh, encouragement from him about the fate of her wayward son. And he is reported to have said to Monica, the child of those tears shall never perish. Well, uh, if indeed St. Ambrose said that, his words did famously and gloriously Come true, young Augustine, after many years of breaking his mother's heart, uh, lived long enough uh, to become what uh, one church historian called the greatest theologian between the Apostle Paul and Luther the Reformer. He returned to the faith of his mother, and uh, his experience of sin in all of his waywardness and grace, as he returned from that waywardness, well, folks, that, that experience fed the theology of St. Augustine uh, that has shaped the church for about 1,500 years. Now, I love that story, and I love what St. Ambrose is reputed to have said, and I have certainly seen uh, those words come true again and again and again, uh, some wonderful examples, and some of them are very near and dear to me, to my heart, of restored prodigal sons and daughters. Uh, but whether St. Am Ambrose was a prophet or not, or presumed to be, I, I won't comment. I can't, in fact, predict the future. Uh, certainly with any infallibility, about your son or your daughter uh, that is wayward. 
But here's what I can say. In addition to what I've already said uh, in that last episode where we took this subject up, it is God's way. It is something he delights to do to restore prodigals uh, to their parents. In addition to that, I want to remind you parents of these two things. Number one, uh, if you have a wayward child and you are seeking to faithfully parent that son or daughter, I want you to remember that God is pleased with those faithful efforts. He is certainly pleased with those tears because those tears are like what he himself reveals to be the grief of his heart over his wayward children. You are like your father in heaven when you seek to win and woo and when you weep and when you pray for your son, for your daughter. All that work of tending your own heart and growing in your own godliness through this trial, I want you to remember that this is pleasing to the Lord. And don't pass lightly over that. It is everything to us as God's people that our Heavenly Father is pleased with us. So right now, whatever the outcome of this trial, whatever the future of your son or daughter, right now, he is pleased with your faithful efforts, even down to listening to a lengthy podcast on this subject so that you can be even more faithful. And the second thing I will say that I can say with certainty, not only is he pleased, but it is his promise one way or another, one way or another, to reward your faithfulness. Your faithfulness as a parent in the trial of having a wayward child will have its reward. By your parenting of a wayward child, you are, as Jesus would put it, laying up treasure in heaven. You will have your reward. I am joining some of you in praying that part of that reward, maybe chief among those rewards that God has for you, will be a young man or a young woman, your son or daughter, who says to you, Father, I have sinned. Mother, I have sinned. And that will be the wonderful restoration that you've prayed for, like that saint named Monica, mother of Augustine. I'm praying, indeed, that uh, this will be the reward uh, for some of you, where I know your circumstances, but you will have, you will have your reward. This I can say with certainty, one way or another. Well, friends, uh, that is all that I will say on this painful but important subject. Uh, as I look ahead in this series on Christian parenting, here's what I have in mind. I want to talk with you about imparting to our kids in their second decade a biblical view of sex. I want to talk about teaching and modeling to them purity and modesty, uh, masculinity and femininity. I want to talk about leading uh, our sons and daughters through dating relationships and ultimately to marriage. Um, I want to talk a little bit about technology and uh, media. I want to talk about, I think I want to talk about <laughs> choosing colleges and careers. These are some of the things that still are on my list of things to talk about, but I want to say now that all of that is going to wait uh, until the fall. It is now summertime in the Carolinas, and I have a, a different project again for the summer months for Resurrection Life. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but I want to say, as I sign off again, I'm thankful uh, to have your ear uh, with these pastoral reflections. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged. Uh, Christ is risen, and uh, the Lord keep you in his grace. You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us.